So, you want to save the planet. More than 100 world leaders will gather in Glasgow, Scotland for COP26. There, they will make some of the biggest decisions yet on how to tackle climate change and set out plans that will change the way we all live our lives forever. But that's the big picture. What can we do to help now? I'm Lewis Mickey. And I'm Natalie Crawford Goodwin. And this is So You Want to Save the Planet. The Planet and Our Politics. We're now just days away from COP26 and we've spent the last nine weeks discussing what small changes we can make that will collectively make a big difference. But what difference are we actually trying to make? Well, very simply, the planet is too warm. An agreement was signed in Paris in 2015 to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. But activists say we're hurtling closer to that than ever. COP26 in Glasgow has been described as the world's last best chance of sticking to that agreement and slowing down global warming and climate change. That's right. And some of our regular listeners might think we're sounding a little bit different this week. And that's because we're joined by our political editor, Alan Smith, who's going to talk us through the ins and outs of COP. But before we do all that, let's speak to an expert from the Met Office who can explain why 1.5 degrees is so important. Ahead of COP26, it's important for everyone to realise wherever they live that climate change is affecting our climate. The climate of Glasgow is just as much affected by climate change as anywhere else. And it's imperative that the world leaders assembling in Glasgow take account of the huge body of scientific evidence in reaching decisions which will take meaningful action on climate change. Do you think people fully understand what climate change is and the impact it could have? I think people are becoming aware of climate change. We've all seen heatwave events. We're seeing ever-increasing extreme rainfall events, whether that's in terms of drought, which uh, parts of Scotland have, have suffered over the last few months, or whether that's heat waves or intense rainfall events, rising sea levels. We're beginning to see the impacts of climate change happening around us and it's imperative that we take action to try and avert the worst of climate change which will be a consequence of inaction if world leaders don't agree a meaningful commitment to tackle the scale of climate change in a way that's appropriate to the level of impact that we face not only now but in the future. And what sort of events are you seeing that we're able to attribute to climate change? It's very difficult to point to one event and say that's a direct consequence of climate change but you have to really look at the pattern. So if you look for example at the heat wave of 2018 our scientists told us that that was 30 times more likely because of the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere now compared with 1750. And when you check that back, that's quite easy to verify because you can look in the meteorological record and see that heat waves of that magnitude would have been extremely rare in 1750 to 1800. But they're now 30 times more likely, and that is the sort of projections that we see. Going forward, we estimate that by 2050, the summer of 2018 is likely to be 
an event that happens every other year. Now, there may be some people that suggest that actually that's a welcome thing. Some people really appreciate and enjoy summer weather. But there are huge implications for issues like water supply, people's health, transport infrastructure, supply chains. All of those factors are potentially impacted by climate change. So it's imperative that we take the action necessary and protect not only Scotland's future, but that of the rest of the world. And what would the message from the Met Office be ahead of COP26? The important point from the Met Office is that the overwhelming body of science has to be listened to and acted upon. The IPCC published a landmark report just coming out ahead of COP, which really laid the ground for the state of climate change and the impact that we could expect to see in future. Modelling from the Met Office is showing similar results. So what we hope is that now is the time for everyone to listen to the science and act upon it before climate change gets to a point where the impacts really become very extreme. We're not going to escape climate change. It's with us already. We are going to see it increase. The world has increased by about one degree Celsius since pre-industrial times. Even with the best efforts, we're going to struggle to remain below 1.5, although that's still possible and achievable. But we've still got a certain amount of climate change which is going to be effectively baked into the system. But the efforts at Glasgow will be to try and avert the worst of climate change and avoid temperatures of two or even a three or four degree rise, all of which are theoretically possible if no action is taken. So, you want to save the planet? That's what the May Office have to say about global warming. But we know from the news that COP26 is more political than ever, which is why we are joined by Bowers political editor Alan Smith. Hello, Alan. Hello, guys. How are you? I am very good. I'm actually, you know, now that we're on the eve of COP, there's a part of me which is quite anxious at the prospect of covering such a, a huge event. I've covered a lot of events in my time, but I don't think I'll have covered or will ever cover something with this kind of magnitude. Yeah, I was wondering if this was going to be like for you a bit like, I don't know, two weeks of elections instead of just the normal one or when we had two days the last time. You know, you go back to things like G7 Summit and all these kind of major events when you bring all these world leaders together. Effectively, this is like that, but times 10. You know, this is just on a scale. It's just an unbelievably massive scale. And given the importance that's attached to COP in particular, as you know, you, you said in your introduction there about campaigners talking about how close we are to hitting these targets in terms of not letting global warming go above 1.5 degrees and how close we are to this, It's been given that label of being the last chance. All this drama surrounding this conference and because they think we're so close to getting to a point where there's a point of no return, hence why governments we've heard in the months gone by but the actions they're taking is because there is this real belief that we're heading to the point of no return when it comes to climate change. So that's why there's so much importance attached to this COP in particular and how Glasgow is effectively seen as the last chance to save the planet. You were mentioning there like some of the drama that's surrounded COP26. But before we kind of get into, you know, what might happen at COP, what has kind of the build up been like to this? 
all the is it or isn't it going to happen is it going to be in person is it not going to be in person that of course has added a little bit to this conference of course there are some world leaders who are using the pandemic as a reason not to attend this conference too so in terms of the build-up it has been stop start of course it was supposed to happen last year but I think we're now at the point we know who's going to be here we know who's going to be in the rooms with the negotiations for countries now it's a case of getting all their papers together everything together just so they can now attend and update everybody else on what they're doing so we're effectively at the point of no return when it comes to COP it's effectively roll on the start of this conference and for the next two weeks and come the end of those two weeks to see what they actually if they can actually agree on something. So we know that we're not likely to see any big agreement like we saw in Paris in 2015. But what are some of the things we might expect to come out of COP26? Can we anticipate any big announcements? Or is this more a kind of box ticking check in exercise for countries? I think initially, you know, the first couple of days when we'll have the World Leaders Summit, particularly the first day, it's about an update, isn't it? It's about them coming together and saying, well, hey, look, since we made this agreement, here's the progress that we've made and here are the things that we are doing. It's about recommitting to finance agreements. So we've had those agreements where 100 billion is to be used to help other countries, you know, lower you know, income countries to meet their ambitions as well. So a recommitment to the finance deal, a recommitment, yeah, we want to keep global warming to less than 1.5 degrees. But there may well be other agreements, whether it be agreements on transport and electric cars or agreements made over foods. So there might be other types of agreements, but the overall, the big aims in terms of the 1.5 degrees, and we've heard that slogan in the run up to this about keeping 1.5 alive. You know, that's effectively what people need to see a commitment towards and whether or not these countries can move quicker in terms of doing that, because time is always going to be of the essence for what they're dealing with. We said at the top there, the campaigners talking about we're running out of time, get to the point of no return. So these actions that have agreed in the past, could we see some timetables brought forward and say, well, instead of trying to achieve this by this year, we're going to bring it forward a few years and try and get to our goals much, much quicker. And Alan, how important or how crucial are those first few days? Because as we know, that's when the world leaders are there. I mean, what is the difference between when the world leaders are there and then the following days once they people like Joe Biden have left? So the first couple of days, that's when we have the World Leaders Summit on the, the Monday and Tuesday. This is when they all see each other face to face. Well, the ones who are there anyway will see each other face to face. And that's the update element of things. That's when they can all sit in the summit and say, well, hey, look, this is what we've done. What have you guys done? And, you know, on Monday, Boris Johnson was being quizzed by school children at number 10. He was talking about the chances of any sort of agreement at this COP. And he was saying it was touch and go, but he was hoping peer pressure could force some nations into action. The Monday and Tuesday, when they're all in the room together and they're all kind of facing each other, that's essentially where that pressure is going to come into play. They won't want to be seen as the world leader who's not acting. You know, if America does this, the UK will do this. What about the other countries? Are they kind of letting slip their climate credentials? So that Monday and Tuesday, it will be very different to the following couple of weeks because once the likes of Joe Biden and everyone else leaves after Tuesday, what we have is two weeks of the official negotiations. So week one, primarily it's technical, technical negotiations that they have during the first week. And then the second week we'll have ministerial head of state meetings 
and then it's down to the ministers who will make the final decision at the end of those two weeks. So first couple of days, all the leaders in one room, you know, will the China do each other? Will they be putting the cards on the table to say, hey, look, we're willing to put this much in? And then the following week, it's all technical. And then the final week, it's getting those final decisions made. Something I really wanted to ask you, Alan, is over the last kind of year, two years, have you noticed that this has really become a major agenda issue? Because although we've heard about global warming and climate change for years, it only really feels like since we found out that COP26 was being hosted in Glasgow, that it's really been pushed on to the agenda in Britain and in, in Scotland. Is that something you've noticed? Would you agree with that? I would certainly say, you know, because I'm primarily based at Holyrood in the Scottish Parliament and I'm, I'm looking over like statements, the debates, the committee sessions we're having, we're look, I'm looking at what the parties are pushing forward. You know, we've had a snap general election in the last couple of years, we've had a Holyrood election in the last year, that the climate is certainly very much front and centre for a lot of these elections, like, because parties, politicians now are aware of just how important that people take these climate issues that perhaps 10 years ago, it wasn't the most important thing to people. With the warnings that we're having about the so-called point of no return for climate change, and we're talking about what we're leaving future generations, the importance placed upon climate and green issues is certainly taken up way up the list of priorities for people. And parties have kind of latched onto that and realised, well, these are the people who have the decisions to make, that can take the actions. And if they want to keep people with them, then they need to place a greater importance on climate issues. So we're certainly, I think we definitely have seen in the last couple of years, in elections, in agendas of parliament, agendas of government, more focus and attention being placed on climate issues. And where does the UK stand in terms of how effective we've been at keeping to the promises made in Paris when you maybe compare that to other countries? Can the UK go in with our heads held high, so to speak? Well, the UK will believe that it has delivered more than perhaps other nations have in this place of greater importance. Likewise, we hear from the Scottish government talking about it having some of the most ambitious targets in the world. But it really comes down to meeting targets. We heard from Nicola Sturgeon on Monday. I was at an event with Nicola Sturgeon. She was addressing students in Glasgow. And, you know, she was talking about going into COP that these world leaders need to come out with proper actions, you know, credible actions and how you need to move away from face-saving slogans, as she put it, you know, this keeps 1.5 alive. They need to be beyond slogans and these be actions. But actually also in her speech, she did take head on the fact that while the Scottish government does have tough targets, perhaps tougher targets than elsewhere, they haven't met them. You know, they haven't met their own emissions targets for the past two years. And I think that's going to be important going into COP. Clearly, the Scottish government doesn't have a formal role in negotiations, but for world leaders to kind of put their hands up and say, look, we did set these targets. We haven't quite met these targets, but this is what we're doing to address these targets. And just last week, we had UK government, Boris Johnson, setting out a multi-billion pound package on tackling climate change. We'll hear more and more from other governments and administrations heading into these discussions that in the last couple of weeks, we've made this commitment to spend this much on this much. So I think the UK will probably see itself as being further along than other nations and has committed more in terms of, of tackling climate change at home than other countries. And that's what I wanted to ask you, because obviously this is happening in Glasgow and Scotland. Where does the Scottish government fit into all this? We know they don't have a formal role in the negotiations, but 
the conference itself is essentially taking place in Nicola Sturgeon's back garden. It couldn't be any closer to our own constituency if it tried. So where do they factor into this? For the last couple of years, we've heard about whether there be arguments or challenges over some sort of formal role. And, you know, even on Monday, speaking with Nicola Sturgeon and, you know, she making clear she wants the event to be a success and she's ready to help in whatever way they possibly can for the UK government. And from what I understand, there does seem to have been you know, a decent line of communication between the two governments going into the conference. Now that everything's finalised, it's happening, it's in person, there does seem to be a, a better line of communication. And while there won't be you know, a formal role in the negotiations for the Scottish government, I do think that the First Minister will meet with world leaders outside of the official events. I think there'll still be a role for the Scottish government to play in particular as being the country where the conference is being hosted as well. You know, she'd spoken about Scotland leading by example through some of the actions it's taken. And there will be plenty of opportunities for the Scottish government during those two weeks because they'll have their own programme of events as well. So there'll be plenty of opportunities for the Scottish government over the two weeks to kind of shout about the things that they're doing and the things that they want. So you want to save the planet? There we go. That is the politics side of things. And thank you very much to our political editor, Alan Smith, for talking us through all of that. But Lewis, as you very well know, COP26 will not just be all about the politics. There is the big protest factor as well. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be so many different protests. We've seen a lot of crazy things happening in the last few weeks, I want to say. I mean, especially down in England. So I can only imagine with an event this big happening in Glasgow, how much is going to happen. And of course, it's all condensed into an even smaller area. So you're going to have one crazy thing happening right next to another one, and they'll probably all mesh into the same one. Absolutely. We know some of these groups, your Extinction Rebellions, your Friends of the Earth, have all come together to form this COP26 coalition and they're taking kind of a joined up approach to some of the action. We already know that there's going to be the big march through Glasgow on November 6th, which we're looking at 100,000 people. But we also know, because they have told us as much, that there will be some more disruptive action as well. What that will look like, we don't quite know yet, but I have been speaking to Ruth D, who is a member of Extinction Rebellion in Glasgow. She is a gran and she says becoming a rebel is one of the best things that she has ever done in her life. She understands why people are getting frustrated with Extinction Rebellion, but what they're doing is completely necessary. So let's hear what she's had to say. Obviously, there are disruptions that I can't talk about because we always do plan things that are quite What's the word I can use? Secretive, I suppose. And we couldn't give away our plans, otherwise the police would instantly know and prevent us from doing them. Now, that sounds as if we're doing something that's terribly bad. I don't believe so. I don't believe that, for example, when we took red paint and splashed it against some of the buildings in the city, that was a bad thing to do. It was a way of saying, you have blood on your hands and we're going to act out how strongly we feel about that blood on your hands because somebody's got to say it, otherwise nothing's going to change. And that grabbed media attention and it got our point across. Now, secondly, I can totally understand why people are fed up of this and saying, it's them again, it's that Extinction Rebellion, look what they're doing. 
I totally get that. But there are two things I would say. The first one is, this is how bad the situation is. We're heading for 3.5 degrees by the end of this century. And that's disaster. That's runaway climate change that you cannot stop. And we're way on target to exceed the limits that we agreed at the last COP, COP25 in Paris. We're way, way over that, so the situation is really severe. So the analogy I use is supposing a house was on fire and you knew that there was a child trapped inside that house. Now, my voice is shaking here because I get emotional. If you knew that child was in there and you couldn't get into that burning building, you'd break a window to get in and save that child. And that's what we're doing. We're breaking windows to go in and save children. We're acting on behalf of our planet. And disruption seems to be the only thing that really gets the government's attention because they really, really don't like it. We tried petitions, we tried protest marches, we tried talking to MPs, we tried writing to MPs and MSPs. And it was always the same, yeah, yeah, coming out with, of course, yeah, we care, but basically we're not going to do anything about it. That's what we found. And because we care so much, we are willing to put ourselves on the line and be disruptive. Now, we were in Parliament Square a couple of years ago. We'd occupied Parliament Square, the Glasgow rebels, and we were having a great time. The atmosphere was, it was just fabulous. We were so close to each other, but we knew that we were disrupting people and we didn't take that lightly. And I remember one evening, it was Easter, but it was 21 degrees. And for a Glaswegian, that's a bit uncomfortably hot for me. But there was a man on crutches, an elderly man. And as he came past us, he shouted right across Parliament Square, you effing bees. You've made my life effing miserable with your disruption. Now, he was on crutches and it just so happened that at that time, before I had treatment, I can walk now, but at that time I couldn't walk very well and I was in a wheelchair. And I spun myself up as fast as I could across Parliament Square to this guy in my wheelchair, him and his crutches, and I said, I know and I'm really sorry. It's hell for me as well in this heat. And it's hell for me thinking about why I have to do this. I am really sorry and believe me, if there was an alternative to doing this, I'd be doing it. And you know what he said? It's okay, I just needed to let off some steam. So, you want to save the planet? Well, I thought Ruth was really interesting there. And it's one of those things that there might be some people listening who went into that interview really wanting maybe not to agree with Ruth because, let's be honest, I think a lot of people don't like this disruptive type protest that some of these groups do. But she does have a, a way of making it make sense. But I don't know if people will be as understanding if it's locking the way to work over the next two weeks. Well, that's it exactly. You understand why they're taking the action that they are. and their passion for the subject is, is really, really admirable. Unfortunately, with the amount of disruption that we've already got going on in Glasgow over the next fortnight, I'm not sure people will be too understanding. But Lewis, you know, the whole point of this podcast was to look at things that we could do as ordinary people to help fight climate change. Now, 
us sitting here giving all these suggestions about what you can do in the home, what you can do with your shopping, all these kind of things, transport, buying an electric car, they're all good and well. But will people actually take these things on board? Will they change their behaviour? I was really interested to find out. So I've been speaking to behavioural psychologist Chris Hans, who's been talking me through just what people's behaviour patterns are like and how likely they are to adapt to climate change. Any conversations, any campaigns need to be accessible. The language that's used needs to be something that's understandable across a wide range of people, generations, cultures. We can't rely on a single media or medium to put out the message. So any kind of messaging around this needs to be something that can be understood by everyone who lives in this country. Related to that, it is absolutely crucial that, you know, Getting the motivation is only part of it. People then need to be supported and able to follow through on it. So, you know, encouraging people to make the change is one thing, but making sure that people have the necessary education and skills and infrastructure to follow through on those changes is vital. And that involves things like making sure there's adequate public services, making sure there's adequate systems in place for handling recycling, making it easier for people to understand what are positive changes in this respect. And to me, really, really selling it, not so much as as making change for climate's sake, but making change for personal wealth and health sake. And from those kind of changes, everything else will happen kind of naturally. If we cut down on waste, for example, we're literally not wasting as much money. We perhaps could reduce our consumption, which might make us a little healthier. And all of these things sort of interact to influence climate change, sustainability. And it is that kind of multi-pronged approach that's needed. But ultimately, you know, you need to communicate to people in a way that people can understand. You need to be able to make that message accessible to as many people as possible. So you want to save the planet? That is the opinion of Chris Hans and whether people will or will not change their behaviour to help try and tackle climate change remains to be seen. But we have a epic fortnight in front of us Lewis how are you feeling oh I don't know I'm already tired so (laughs) I feel like this is just going to build on top of it it's going to be very interesting it's going to be a lot to take in you just wonder what things are going to look like two weeks from now there's going to be just so many big talks and hopefully so many big decisions made in that time but it's one of those things until you're in it I feel as though it's hard to even imagine just what it's going to be other than disruptive to this poor streets of Glasgow. Exactly. Well, we have decided to come back for one more bumper 11th episode, cleverly titled, Did We Save the Planet? And we will find out what comes out of COP26 and whether or not any meaningful decisions have been made. The Planet and Our Politics. 